I'm Bridget Smith and welcome to Stranger Melbourne, a podcast where we explore some of the stranger parts of Melbourne's history and the urban legends that accompany them. Join us as we dive into the Yarra River with its casino bodies, Barry Humphreys scavenger hunting for neon, a dead guy in a 24-hour nightclub, underground tunnels and bowling alleys, and other strange and mysterious events. This is our Stranger Melbourne History. Welcome to episode one. Let's get right into it. Whelan the Wrecker. James Whelan got his start in the wrecking business back in the 1880s, buying rows of workers' cottages in Brunswick for £5 each, pulling them down for salvage and selling on the scraps. Over the next few years, Whelan the Wrecker became a family-owned and operated company based in Brunswick, right where James Whelan got his start pulling down those original cottages. The company became well known through the 1950s where he made his presence known over Melbourne with his rather infamous Whelan the Wrecker is here sign. The signs originally started in 1923 when Whelan and his men scrawled it on the side of a Swanston Street building they were demolishing to make way for Capitol Theatre. Originally put there as a directive for delivery men coming into the demolition site, it's hard to deny that Whelan knew what worked as good advertising. These signs quickly appeared so quickly on so many of the grand buildings from the marvellous Melbourne era of the late 1800s. In the early years of the 20th century, the city was now considered old enough and large enough that we needed specialist demolition companies. And when soldiers were returning from World War I, we were desperate, absolutely desperate to forget the days pre-war. And we went full speed ahead, modernizing Melbourne. We wanted higher buildings and we could not turf the Victorian era ironwork throughout the city fast enough. By 1938, when James Whelan died, it was estimated that up to 98% of the demolition that had taken place in Melbourne had been carried out by Whelan the Wrecker. In 1954, it was mandated that all remaining iron verandas were to be demolished. They were classed as dangerous, but it wasn't really a secret that the predominant reason was the upcoming 1956 Summer Olympics. And well, it was a big deal that Melbourne was hosting. We can't look sloppy or outdated, can we? But things began to change in the late 1950s. Previously, we didn't mourn what we lost to wheel in the wrecker. It was progress. We like progress. But when does it go too far? When does concern for history and its loss start to creep back in? The wheel in the wrecker is here science became a really powerful symbol. They were ominous, and a large number of Victorians by this point had just had enough. By this point, Wheel and the Wrecker was the city's largest demolition company. They took on almost all the contracts of demolition in Melbourne, and the public held them responsible for these losses as a result. In 1956, the rallying calls for preservation were heard, and the National Trust of Victoria was formed. Now, I'm not saying that there is still some residual anger towards Whelan the Wrecker, but I will say that one of his signs still exists on Sydney Road in Brunswick, and once when it came into view while I was sitting on the tram, I heard a man say, that wanker Whelan. So yeah, it might still exist, just a little bit. 
However, it is definitely worth noting that the employees of Wheel and the Wrecker absolutely heaped praise on the family. They treated their staff well, incredibly well, continuing to employ staff throughout the Depression as contracts became more and more scarce. And in 1958, they demolished the 40-metre-high Colonial Mutual Life Building, which stood on the corner of Collins and Elizabeth Street. Eleven men had died during its original construction, and it was said that if Wheel and the Wrecker could pull it down with only three fatalities, they would be doing well. When demolition was completed in 1960, their demolition had been completely incident-free, with not a single death. The company stated, we are not in a maim and mangle industry. When the company folded in 1991 and was taken over by the Delta Group, the family business had been wrecking for over 100 years, and they were the oldest demolition company in the world. Miles Whelan, the grandson of James Whelan, donated over 170 pieces that they had rescued over time from their demolition sites to the Melbourne Museum. The Whelan family referred to themselves as the original recyclers. But let's go back a bit. 1936, a neon sign is being erected at 627 Victoria Street, Abbotsford. It is the first animated neon sign in Australia. And at that moment, it was the absolute pride and joy of the company Claude Neon. So much so that after being commissioned to make it, they refused to give it to its owners, Nikanda Vinegar, instead reaching an agreement to lease it to them for £15 a month. The Skipping Girl Vinegar sign is of a young girl in a red dress, red ribbons on her hair, and three sets of rapid neon, giving the illusion of her jumping while skipping rope. At her feet are the words vinegar, highlighted in neon. This is the Skipping Girl Vinegar. Much beloved by the public, it of course over time brought up the questions of who and why. Who was this girl and why was she skipping? What the absolute hell has that even got to do with vinegar? The question of why was fairly easy. Although not confirmed, it seems that the general consensus is that Nikanda took from the popular skipping rhyme, salt, mustard, vinegar, pepper. Salt, mustard, vinegar, pepper, French almond rock, bread and butter for us. As for who, that is less clear. Three main people have claimed the identity, a then eight-year-old Kitty Minogue laid first claim, saying that her older brother Jim sketched her for a competition run by the Vinegar Company. Kitty Minogue went on to become a nun at the Brigidine Congregation of Nuns and taught in an Albert Park school for much of her life, retelling this story to countless children over the years. 
The second woman to come forward was Irene Barron, a junior artist at the Neon Company during the design phase of the sign. She said that due to being the youngest, she was asked to skip to accurately sketch the feet, rope and dress placement. The third person to lay claim was Alma Burns, nicknamed Bobby. Bobby lived at the back of a nearby milk bar named The Cozy Corner, where after school she would often skip in the street. It's said that the manager at the factory saw her frequently and knowing the company logo needed updating, used Bobby as a model for the original Skipping Girl sketches. Over time, the issues with having neon on top of a factory that produced rather potent fumes became quite apparent. As the Skipping Girl developed the nickname Little Audrey from locals, she would occasionally instead be referred to as Little Miss Headless or One-Legged Audrey as the fumes eroded the copper electrodes. In 1968, Nicanda Vinegar sold their premises to the Metropolitan Fire Brigade and moved production to Altona. Demolition began on the factory, and who do you think turned up once again? Welcome back to Wheelin' the Wrecker. Before the building could come down, little Audrey had to first be removed. Claude Neon attempted to reclaim the sign, saying that it was never owned by Nicanda, only under lease and therefore belonged to them. But due to the demolition contract having no specific conditions, any salvaged material now belonged to Whelan. The now infamous Whelan the Wrecker is Here sign was stuck to little Audrey's feet and she was pulled down and sold to car wrecker Doug Snowden. From wrecker to wrecker, little Audrey was dumped to rust in an Abbotsford car yard. One thing that probably wasn't counted on was Melburnians. We are rather attached to our icons and by 1970 we were, to put it rather mildly, pissed. We had lost so many great buildings and we didn't want to lose Little Audrey as well. There was a huge public outcry and even a radio campaign to bring Audrey back. Nikanda had now been taken over by Maori Brothers and Thompson and they entered negotiations for a new sign. It didn't exactly go well. We Melburnians wanted the original and we wanted it in the exact same place. I will say they tried hard and were eventually offered the rooftop of 651 Victoria Street, 200 metres from the original site by John Benjamin of the Crusader Plate Company. This, of course, was never going to be seamless and trying to restore a beloved public icon hit a major snag when they realised that the rooftop was significantly lower to the ground than the original of Nicanda. So Audrey was remade, now slightly smaller, though it is still worth noting that this was always going to happen anyway. The original was still in an unknown car yard, rusting into oblivion. Little Audrey, the skipping girl, had many, many fans. However, her biggest one came in the form of none other than Barry Humphreys. Dame Edna herself loved Audrey. And the new Audrey, or Audrey II, was toasted by Humphreys with champagne glasses of skipping girl vinegar. Another interesting occurrence, as little Audrey was lit up for the first time in years, who was asked to flick the switch? None other than Alma Bobby Burns from the Cozy Corner Milk Bar. In 1974, the original Skipping Girl was resurfaced. 
twisted on her side and rusted, quite severely rusted. She was flipped over by none other than Barry Humphreys. He had tracked her down, still in the car yard of Abbotsford, and it said that he lay a wreath at her feet and composed Ode to the Skipping Girl. If you go to our Instagram page at Stranger Melbourne Podcast, I've actually posted a picture of Barry and Audrey. I feel like it is definitely worth pointing out that this might be a slightly romanticized version of events, as at her feet is what actually appears to be a cactus. Do with that information what you will. Whether or not the ode to the skipping girl was composed at her side in that Abbotsford car yard, you have to admit it's rather beautiful. The trams are still pale green and pretty, and the foot of the shrine has been polished. But the rest of our city has either been ruined or demolished. They haven't pulled down Melbourne, though they've wrecked every decent old pub with the shadow of Whelan's dead hammer. Our town planners are brilliant and clever, though I privately pray little Audrey will outshine them and skip on forever. Quite poetic. Enough to make you wish that our trams were still green. Though our skipping girl seems to have a rather chaotic life, and in 2001 the contract for the sign expires and she is once again switched off. In 2005, local residents Jenny Hume, Trisha Broadbent and Pat Cowell formed the Friends of Audrey to gather support for the restoration and protection of the sign. Never a city to avoid talkback radio scandal. This means that we are subjected to Red Simons making the unfortunate and uncomfortable, to say the least. Quip that the Friends of Audrey sounded like a lesbian organization. (sighs) The Friends of Audrey, though, were successful. They lobbied the National Trust, and in 2007, it was finally included on the Victorian Heritage Register. In the twisted circle of life, Whelan's original demolitions brought forward the need for the Victorian Heritage Register, and the subsequent demolition of Audrey created an outcry that resulted in her being listed, allowing her to be preserved. In 2009, Little Audrey was removed and restored by the company Delta Neon after financial backing from AGL Energy. Then, on the 10th of June, the Energy and Resource Minister, Peter Batchelor, flicked the switch and relit our little Audrey, the skipping girl. As for the original little Audrey, what happened to her after Barry Humphreys found her? It's hard to say. The most common story seems to be that she was moved around and around and around as the car yards changed hands eventually ending up in a shed in central Victoria before being disposed of finally in a stall tip. It's hard to say, and maybe she would be much less interesting to us if we really didn't know how it all ended. Unfortunately, not all neon is loved equally, and it's worth recognising that not all historical Melbourne neon had the same fate as Little Audrey the Skipping Girl. In 1939, a large deco ice skating rink opened, named the St. Moritz. It featured two neon signs, each 1.7 metres tall, of a skating girl in a short skirt and lace-up boots, which looked over the entrance of the St. Kilda Social Hub. 
The St. Moritz was incredibly popular and sat proudly on the Esplanade. In the 70s, though, it gradually lost out to competition in the form of newer ice rinks in the suburbs, roller rinks and discos. And in the 1980s, it was sold to trucking magnate Lindsay Fox, otherwise known as the face behind every Lynn Fox truck you ever got stuck behind on any road trip anywhere in Australia. The St. Moritz lasted two more years before officially closing its doors for good. Soon after closing its doors, it was nominated to the Historic Buildings Preservation Council, but the City of St. Kilda councillors voted against this and decided to uphold a demolition permit that had already been issued. Bad luck continued through and the building suffered from a fire later that year, leaving only the facade left to be demolished. Left on the facade, however, were the two skating girls. An Elstonwick electrician named Tom Ingram rushed to save what he could. He put his ladder up against the front and unbolted the skating girls from what was left. He stored them in his backyard shed until 1991. The signs, which he nicknamed the girls, were in incredibly bad condition. They were rusted with holes and were only brought to life when he offered them to the newly developed St. Moritz Hotel, which sat on the original site of the ice skating rink. The girls were patched, repainted, coated in plastic. They were sanded back to get rid of the rust that had caused the damage and new neon tubing was installed. One was mounted behind glass in the hotel's cafe. Over time, the hotel changed owners and the historic neon no longer suited the hotel's aesthetic. It was panelled over and hidden, only once again uncovered in 2005 when Tom, by chance, mentioned the girls to the bar staff. After pulling back the wood panelling, it was once again unbolted and then donated to the St Kilda Historical Society. The skating girl has since been passed around and was temporarily on display at the City Museum and now sits encased at St Kilda Town Hall. The second skating girl? I don't really know. Much like the original Little Audrey, she seems to have disappeared. And with that, that brings us to the end of the first episode of Stranger Melbourne. But don't worry, make sure to subscribe because I will be back soon. There is always something stranger. Salt, mustard, vinegar, pepper.